Lord, we love you. We love your word. We love uh, the uh, excitement and energy in the room when the community comes and gathers, uh, when we come through the adversity of snow and all of that. Uh, Lord, it's just a, a sense of excitement, a sense that uh, uh, we're here because we want to be, because we're committed uh, to you. And we just say to you that we're committed to your word. Uh, we, we love the scriptures. We're so grateful to have these words handed down to us uh, from you across the ages. And we uh, just say that we want to respond to them. We want to uh, learn from them. And uh, not just cognitively, Father, but as we read the scriptures, uh, we want them to actually touch our hearts and be transformative. We want to encounter you in your word, your very presence. So would you come as we, as we uh, look at the scriptures and just transform us, just make us new, uh, do something different in us today. Would you grow us this morning? Uh, help me, Lord, to just uh, to walk through this uh, in a good way. Thank you for your word. We love you. Amen. 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 Cool. So over the last uh, little while, um, it's coming off the end of uh, our series uh, called Why This Matters, looking at the cross. I was really wrestling with what the next thing to, to speak about uh, would be and had just it's just one of those things where you almost have too many ideas and too many thoughts to really know how to, uh, to identify it. And, and I was almost at a stage of having um, almost writer's block, like just a, a, an overwhelming amount of stuff that I wanted to share, not knowing what to really uh, lock in on. Um, but uh, I, I felt like I actually had a really interesting encounter uh, in the car uh, the other day, just listening to... Uh, listening to a podcast on prayer. And uh, the, the gist of the podcast was that prayer is something that actually, of course, starts with listening. And this is a fairly uh, familiar idea to us. But my prayer life is, is very often filled more with me talking. And, uh, and I realized that as I've been wrestling with what series to do and what to speak about and, and share about, that I hadn't really been listening to the Lord and hadn't really taken time for him to speak uh, into, into my life around that. So I uh, just took some time away. And, and anytime you make a little gap, you make a little space to interact with the Lord, he just sometimes meets you so quickly. And as I was praying and just quieting my heart and saying, Lord, what, what, do, you, what do you want uh, this congregation to know? I just felt like he dropped this uh, phrase into my heart. I need them to know they're secure. They need to know they're secure. And so uh, I began to just look into that idea of security and what that means for us as people, what that means for us as a community. When you look at, at security and when you look at uh, what that's all about, there's, there's really a range of ideas around it. Some of them actually very positive and some of them negative. Like on, on one sense, if you're like so secure in your life and you're wrapped in your little bubble, there's just no way to have an adventure to follow God, right? If we're always so concerned about our safety. Uh, but, but there's a way in which we see scripture in uh, talking about security in, in a really powerful way. And so we're just going to walk through that uh, together. But the place to start with, and this is just a question for us, uh, especially maybe even a question for somebody who might be new to their faith or, or an unchurched person who might be among us, is, is, is it possible to believe that God actually wants you to be secure? 
as a person. Because when many people are wrestling with God and trying to get to know him, uh, you're coming with images of God that come from uh, ancient history, from Catholicism, from good church experiences, from bad church experiences, from a whole spectrum of different things. And the idea of God as a secure person is a challenge for us. And so we're just going to walk through some of that together. Um, I'm just going to share some thoughts just from, from various writers on security. Uh, this is Helen Keller. She says, this security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Uh, avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Right? She's grappling with that. Yeah, I don't want to be too safe so as not to have adventure. And besides, I could be hit by a bus at any time, says a woman who was born deaf and blind. What does safety feel like for her? Uh, so lots of uncertainty around that. Here's Franklin uh, Roosevelt. True individual freedom cannot exist without economic security and independence. People who are hungry and out of a job are the stuff of which dictatorships are made. That when we're insecure and when we're broken and when we're full of angst and pain, that's when we uh, do things to destroy one another and destroy society. Uh, that's when uh, maybe sometimes healthy revolutions happen if, uh, if uh, people are being uh, oppressed. Uh, there's angst that comes with a sense of us not being safe uh, as humans. Uh, a whole society not being safe is something that can catalyze great societal change. Here's Dwight Eisenhower. If you want total security, go to prison. There you're fed, you're clothed, you're given medical care, and so on. Uh, the only thing lacking is freedom. Right? Prison's a very secure place for you to be. It's actually not if you're interacting with the other prisoners. Maybe solitary is a secure place for you to be. Uh, but... Uh, there, there's, there's this tension between freedom and motion moving in society and, and being secure. And I just want us to walk through uh, what security might mean for us. Here's actually Paul's vision for security for his life, for physical security. I'm just going to read for Second from Second Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more a servant of Christ. I have worked much harder. I've been imprisoned more frequently. I've been flogged more severely and exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day floating in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. There is the most secure Christian in Christian's history's uh, description of his personal security. It's a very encouraging, uh, very encouraging image for us, uh, right? But at the same time, we see some things that are, that are like in the heart of God for uh, what our relationship with him ought to be like. Uh, Psalm 91, oops, sorry, Psalm 91, verses 1 to 5. And this is where we, we find enormous comfort. 
He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day. So we have in the scripture this tension between a call to adventure, a call to mission, and a sense that it is, it is on God's heart for you to feel a deep sense of security as a person in your relationship with him. And we, and we know even looking at Paul's journey, there's no way he could have endured what he did endure without a sense of being secure in the, in the loving arms of the Father. Uh, there's, there's, there's something for us to walk through there. I'm just going to read a few more scriptures on, on security for us. And, and these ones, I think it would be really good if rather than trying to grapple with them, uh, you know, intellectually, cognitively, uh, to just receive them as the words of the Lord over you and for you. Uh, to just receive this as the heart of the Lord for you as a person. What, what he wants you to experience in your relationship with him. I'm just going to read, if just because there's so much. I, I could have picked any one of a hundred uh, scriptures on, on security and the safety uh, of the Lord. But I'm just going to read these few to us. Uh, so let's just meditate on these for a moment. This is just a really scripture-heavy message, but let it do its work in our hearts. Deuteronomy 33.12, The beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. Psalm 40, verse 2, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Psalm 122, Peace is within your walls and security within your towers. Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. This is the heart of uh, Jesus for the people of Jerusalem, uh, people who were rejecting him. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who, who were sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you are not willing. Ephesians 1.13, in him also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, just a commentary on that. When we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is about gifts and about miracles and about empowering and about wisdom and about comfort and about his presence. But we don't often talk about the Holy Spirit, the very fact that we have a relationship uh, with the Holy Spirit is that that's a sign for us. That's a promise of God's faithfulness to us. That's a, that's a gift that's given to you as a, as, a, as a promise, a commitment. I am for you. I am with you. I have saved you. Uh, you are with me. Hebrews 12, 28. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And here's the words of Jesus, John 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. 
and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Listen, he, he's, he's sitting there with his disciples and he's talking about uh, them as his sheep, as the people he's leading, and he's having a conversation with them. And he's saying, listen, no one is going to be able to snatch you out of my hands. And then he's just saying, but, but no, don't, let this, don't let this be just a, a human thing. You're just seeing me as a person now. I want you to really understand my ability to hold you and to care for you and to embrace you. Uh, and to uh, keep you secure is, is not just my ability. It's the ability of the Father. It's the ability of God Almighty. It's the ability, and speaking to Hebrew people, of the God who split the Red Sea, of the God who spoke creation into existence with the word, uh, the God who delivered people from Egypt, uh, who spoke to the prophets, who established them as a nation, uh, who dwells in the temple that was standing at that time. That mighty God is the God that holds you securely in his hands. He's got you. He's got you. And so we see from the scriptures that uh, in spite of the crazy adventures that might be before us, looking at Paul's life as the example of the craziest adventures uh, of all, uh, we know that he wants you to have a deep sense of security in him. He wants you to have that grounded relationship. It's a wonderful gift. It's an extension of the heart of God for all his people. And he wants to provide that with you. But it will always go horribly wrong whenever you try to provide it for yourself. And that's the story of all of the teaching and instruction on the scriptures uh, on family and marriage. Uh, what we're going to look at over the next uh, few weeks is we're going to look at home security. We're going to look at what it's like to have security in our homes, in our relationships with our spouses, in our relationships with uh, our kids. What does the scripture say about that, about security in that space? How does that actually work when it's security that comes from God and Him operating in our lives rather than uh, man-made security structures and ways that we try to find that for ourselves. We're going to look at job security beyond just uh, our workplaces. We'll talk a little bit about that, but we're going to talk about what it is to have a sense of security in your vocation as people called to rule and reign with Christ in the earth to bring his kingdom with you wherever you go. Your vocation as missionaries who walk uh, through the earth. We're going to talk about financial security a little bit. We're going to talk about what it means to uh, have a countercultural attitude towards money and finance so that we can have a sense of security. If you look at marriage, if you look at uh, your business, if you look at your life, how many of you honestly would put uh, your financial lives as one of the hugest stressors that we deal with? huge sense of insecurity if we're, if we're honest. Uh, there's a way of looking at money and thinking about money that is, that is countercultural to what our experience is as people. And he wants us to have a sense of security in that. We're going to talk about personal security. We're going to talk about body image a little bit. And we're going to talk about our personal identity. What it's like to have your identity rooted in being a child of God. Rather than rooted in all of the different things that are swirling around in our culture. And of course we're going to talk about spiritual security. We're going to talk about what it is uh, to have uh, your life um, 
your eternity, your, your sense of your future uh, grounded uh, theologically in God's ability to save and deliver and transform you. So that's what we're, that's what we're all about over the next, uh, next several weeks. But today we're just going to, before we uh, close, just spend a few minutes just looking at what this, this idea of, of home security. How do we really partner uh, with, with God uh, to create uh, secure... I uh, didn't write that very well. Just ignore that. <laughs> I think I've got two slides mixed together. Okay. Hey, everybody found out I'm not perfect. How about that? Um, wait, I think that everybody was aware of that already. Okay, we're good. Uh, how do we partner with God to uh, create a sense of, of security in terms of our homes and our families and, and the way we, we live and dwell together? How many of you uh, would, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. Your spouses are probably sitting right beside you. But how many of you, like your, your home environment is sometimes just full of, full of stress and angst and, and, and wrestling, right? As part of what we do is, as a pastoral team all of the time is just help people uh, try to navigate uh, those relationships, how to navigate those spaces and how to make, uh, you know, our, my prayer often, every, almost every time I'm in a person's home and I'm praying for them, uh, my prayer is, Lord, I pray that this home, that this space would be a sanctuary, like, like the temple, like a place where a person walks into their home and it feels like they're going into the holy of holies. It feels like they're going into a place that is absolutely safe and absolutely secure and absolutely um, a beautiful place for them to, to be at rest and to be at peace and to have a richness of relationship. That's kind of a vision for home that, that I think we're all kind of longing for, but we know in reality that's not always our experience, right? Our homes can be full, filled with, you know, has anybody ever, did anybody, actually, did anybody yell at their children on the way to church this morning? <laughs> yeah. In fact, if a poor Jack was upstairs, he went upstairs, I don't know, to get a coat. It's snowing, and he went upstairs to get a coat, and I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> What are you doing? It's like, Dad, I'm wearing a T-shirt and it's snowing. I need to get a sweater. Like, ah! <laughs> right? You know, like our homes are full of this, this angst. But the Lord really does want for, want for us to have, uh, I mean, that's all just good family fun. Like, please yell at your children. Uh, but uh, <laughs> they need it. It's good for them. Um, but you know, but you want your you do want your home to be a safe and a beautiful beautiful place. And so, how do we do that? How do we create that space? And there's just just a few thoughts uh, on that. And I think the first thing we do is we throw out our family idols. We we, we throw out our family idols. Uh, looking at the Old Testament uh, teraphim, that was sort of a class of of idols that are described sort of in the culture. It's a it's sort of an ancient Hebrew word that describes like the household idol. Uh, and that was the case in, in early uh, cultures in that part of the world in the Middle East where you would have uh, gods that you maybe worshipped uh, that were set up by, you know, the, your tribal leader or things like that. But almost everybody had some kind of idol or some kind of god that was in their home. Uh, for some who were wealthy, uh, there's one described in, um, in the book of Joshua. It's uh, covered with silver, like a beautiful kind of a statue kind of thing. We think of these sort of carved idols as actual tangible uh, things for a family that didn't have a lot. It could have been made out of clay or something else. But what those idols did was they represented uh, for people 
um, an, a blessing that they wanted on their home or uh, a sense of security that they were going to find because they would be protected from other gods by having that god in their home or any number of different things, just a pagan approach to what it is to live in safety and security. But the, the reality is, you know, I, I don't think there's really any of us that have idols in our homes except that we have idols in our homes. Right? And those can be different things. I can tell a story from way back when I was actually, I was probably 19 years old. Uh, I was, uh, you know, just, I knew that I was going to be in ministry at this point. I'd, I'd had an incredible experience with the Holy Spirit, and I was already at that stage trying to walk out a calling as a pastor. And I remember being uh, in, um, in the home of a, of a family uh, in the church that I was attending at the time. I was there actually to hang out with their kid, and there were a couple of uh, friends from the youth group that were there and that were in the home. And uh, as often happened in that weird space, the rest of my buddies would end up, you know, downstairs uh, watching a movie or something like that. And I ended up sitting upstairs uh, at the kitchen uh, bar uh, talking with the, the man of the household. And, and as a 19-year-old, this person was probably you know, 45 or 50, I don't know what their age would have been, but this person starts uh, talking with me about his relationship with his wife and, and how things were, were going uh, with her. And uh, he's like, she's just, uh, she's just so insecure all of the time. And, and I just, he starts telling me a bit about their sex life, actually. He's so insecure at the time, and, and she, I just wish she would be more free. I wish she would, you know, all this sort of, all this sort of stuff, right? And, uh, and, and as, as I'm sitting there talking to this, like, 45-year-old man about his life and his, his marriage, it just, it just popped into my head what the problem was. I'd been out in his garage, uh, and, you know, we'd gotten hockey sticks or something out there, and he had little pinups, you know, the classic things, like this is before the internet, the classic pinup of the girl in the bikini draped across the front of the car with the little calendar in it. And I'm like, dude... And this is when I was, I, I was probably less sensitive than I am now. <laughs> but it's in your garage is why she's insecure. It's on your wall. She has to compare herself to that girl on the wall of your garage. Take it down. We have these idols in our lives, and, and for some, they're hidden. It's hidden behind, you know, an internet habit, or it's hidden behind other things. But we have things in our lives and things in our home, and if we took a moment to just be silent, uh, whether it's something that's as craven as that or something else, uh, there are things in your home that you give your time and your attention to that distract you from creating a healthy space for your life and for your marriage. Maybe it's just watching something on Netflix. I mean, this is just the story of so many of us. It's something that, that, uh, that we are tempted by all the time in our, in our home. As we come home from work, uh, we're tired, we, we get supper, we uh, eat something, and then what do you want to do when that is all done, the kids are sort of off, the homework is done, and, and everybody is settling, and everybody is, is ready for bed, and you finally have that moment of peace and quiet in your home. You grab your iPod, you grab your iPad, or you sit and watch Netflix, or you do something like that, right? 
You give your time and your heart and your attention to that thing, which if you're looking at Netflix and media and TV, what, what those things do for us, the reason I watch, anyway, my temptation for watching like uh, Suits or something like that on Netflix is those people make me feel really, really great because they have all these awesome problems and they telegraph all the answers to the problems and I know what the solution is going to be before it happens and I know that Lewis is going to act like a dork and I know that this is going to happen and I just feel so smart watching this show. Like, like you guys are idiots. Why are you doing that? I feel so affirmed watching Netflix. I feel so great about myself. an idol what do I need to do in that space when the kids are down and the kids are quiet and everybody's Toby's reading a book and he's he's gone to sleep and Jack has done his homework and he's chilling this one I need to make a cup of tea and sit down with my wife and we take those few moments of quiet and we give them to each other and in that I think my wife could feel more secure. I think we could feel more secure to give ourselves to one another in that space and in that time. Just remove the idols from our home. Remove the idol of uh, selfishness. Remove the idol of, even the, the idol of, you know, we come home from work and we're tired and we're stressed and we're, we're worn out, and we would just sort of crave that minute, uh, minute of, of decompression and unplugging and not having to relate to anybody else. But if we're really honest with ourselves, that moment face-to-face and heart with our spouse would be much, much more fulfilling and much, much more rich than anything Netflix could honestly offer me. Whatever it is, whatever the idol is, and I'm just going to just take a moment of silence just to ask, Uh, the Lord to identify to each of us what those idols might be for us. Then we'll just go quickly on to the next section. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Lord, we all have idols in our lives and in our homes. We have things that uh, we use to produce in ourselves a sense of security or a sense of blessing or a sense of protection. but they have nothing to do with you. You're not invited into that space. Our spouses aren't invited into that space or our kids aren't invited into that space. And when we leave our families and desert them in those moments, we know that our families feel insecure. Lord, I just pray that you would identify those things to us. Now with whatever that idol is, I just ask that you would give us a grace to just kick it out of our homes. Create that space for you and for our families. Amen. Amen. Uh, the other thing that we could do is that's really important is for us to lay down our natural mechanisms for providing security in relationships. 
those natural mechanisms, the, the evil side of them for us as people. Uh, we can identify them really simply with words like control and manipulation and criticism. Is that we have a tendency to use those things to position other people relative to ourselves in a way that makes us within our families feel secure. Uh, within with our kids, uh, with our spouses, uh, with yeah, I mean, it applies to every aspect of our lives. But if we hold people in those spaces. Uh, where we have power, we have authority, uh, we have the ability to put them uh, somewhere uh, outside of our sphere of influence so that they can't impact us, so that they can't cost us anything, so that they can't touch us in a way, so that we personally within those spaces feel secure. Uh, We break something down in our homes. We break down our relationships. And Jesus taught us actually countercultural ways to provide security for our family that don't simply use these mechanisms. We could spend a lot of time talking about these dynamics. But I want to just go straight to the scriptures, to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and just speak about husbands and wives. This is Paul's teaching on, uh, on husbands and wives from Ephesians. Submit to one another out of reverence. Christ. Uh, We've heard me speak about this scripture. We've come to it uh, before. But uh, you'll see the little gap between verse 21 and verse 22. Uh, Very often in an older translation of the scripture or uh, say an older version of the NIV that you'll have in that space between verse 21 and 22 that you see on the screen it will say husbands and wives. Instructions for marriage right in there. Right? Um that little heading should go before verse 21. <laughs> Bible editors have put that in there and it has nothing to do with actually, what's actually written in the text. So the countercultural way for dealing with uh, creating a space of security and in your homes uh, isn't about control, isn't about manipulation, it isn't about criticism, it isn't about judgment, it isn't about how you position that person relative to you uh, in your home so that you feel safe and secure. Uh, it's absolutely about submission to one another. I feel unsafe in my home, I feel insecure in my relationship. Therefore, I should submit myself to that person. That doesn't sound comfortable. (laughs) But that's the counterintuitive way that Jesus taught for us to live together. So let's just talk about the wives piece first. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit to their husbands in everything. And then we just don't need to read on any further from there. <laughs> we'll read the husband's part in just a minute. But there is, is something about when we read that, and if we read that from sort of a traditional uh, framework and the way we've heard it preached in our old church circles, and when we've heard it preached in terms of that's where we start even reading the text in the way it was taught, you know, in various places without including submit yourselves to one another, uh, without understanding that context of submission for what it is for a husband to be head of the wife, it sounds like the husband uh, that reads husband is the boss of the wife, right? 
Husband is the boss of the wife. And there's a way in which decision-making dynamics uh, require somebody to be a decision-maker uh, in the home. And there's a way in which all of that has to work. And, you know, different people land on how that all happens uh, theologically. But the context for that passage is submission. Husbands or wives submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. What does the head mean in a context of submission? The husband leads in submission. The husband gives in a way that is self-sacrificial. And that's what we're going to see in the other part. And if the husband is living in a way that is self-sacrificial as a person, as a leader, doesn't it become, if your husband is going to give up his life for you every single time, does it make it easier for you to say, yeah, I trust you on this decision, hubby, hubby? Right? But if your husband is uh, somebody who is uh, self-oriented and self-centered and is going to make decisions that are almost always primarily going to benefit him, is that, is that easy to, to submit in that situation? No, it's not. So read the husband's part in verse, uh, continuing on, verse 25. This is, the, this is the harder bit. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wait a minute. That doesn't... I, I, I know how Christ loved the church. He died on a cross for the church. He had nails driven through his hands for the church. He was whipped and beaten for the church. Now, if you are a leader as a, a, in your home who is taking the hits like that, then maybe your wife could trust you with, with, with being the decision maker at a critical moment when a decision needs to be made quickly. Because you know that that decision that he is going to make is absolutely going to be for your best interest. To make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present herself to him as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Uh, there's a role in which uh, the husband, what he's describing there is he's describing husbands in the role of, of literally a household servant. Right? He's describing the husband as the role of actually a handmaid to a bride. It's not a very manly sounding illustration there, Paul. That doesn't sound like a manly thing to be trying to fix up this, uh, this lady and get her all ready and to wash her feet and to make sure the clothes are good. It sounds not like a manly thing for me to do. But that's the call of a husband, to be on our knees radically committed to the beauty and purity and safety of this woman. An absolute servant. The husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For every amount that you care for yourself as a man, every uh, bit of investment that you make in yourself as a person. Every amount of love and every amount of care and every amount of attention 
to detail. Like whenever, guys, you go up for a manicure, you've got to go get one for your wives. <laughs> it's, about a, it's about a servant-hearted investment. It's counterintuitive, isn't, isn't it? Because you know what it's like. We, we, we know so many situations um, where there's, there's tension in the homes and almost always that tension in the home comes from uh, a place of uh, people feeling insecure and too insecure to actually give of themselves to one another. A sense of brokenness inside, a sense of emptiness inside, a sense that, man, I don't have uh, anything to pour out, I don't have anything to give. And so I'm going to control the situation, I'm going to control the environment, I'm going to control the space so that I can get my own needs met. What the scriptures is telling us that the best possible way to have your own needs met is to meet the needs of your spouse. And in that, if you entrust your life to her, submitting yourself to her, remember mutual submission, then she can submit herself to you. I'm not going to meet my needs, honey. I'm going to meet yours. And she says, okay, well, I'm not going to meet my needs. I'll meet yours. And everybody's needs are met by not meeting your own needs. Submit yourselves to one another. That's what he's talking about. And he goes on to talk about children and parents. Uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, Jack. This is the first... <laughs> This is the first uh, commandment, and it comes with a promise. Jack, do you want to come up here and read the next verse? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You don't want to do it? You can read this verse, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Have I ever provoked you to anger, son? <laughs> thanks for being so brave buddy uh, it's, it, it's rough right but that's mutual submission again right that's the context of this whole passage right children honor your parents parents don't provoke the poor things like uh, it's, it's, it's a great challenge of, of, of parenting for us, and we're just watching all of you who are further ahead of us in the game. But isn't it just a challenge uh, to let these wonderful little people who you once had to change their diapers and you once had to hold their hand crossing the street and you had to yell at them not to go riding on the highway on their bikes and other things, that many things I could list that Jack and Toby have done, which I won't. Um, and to let them become fully fledged, fully realized decision makers and adults. Do you know how hard it is to let that process happen without a little bit of exasperating your kids <laughs> and without a little bit of smack talk coming at you from them? But it's in that space of honor and in that space of, of release, like in respecting uh, the heart of your kids, which I, it's, it's honestly, it's not my greatest strength. I just, I, there's something about me that just loves to bellow at my children. I just, you know, I, I could go downstairs and talk to them, but that's far away. Why would you do that when you can yell down the stairs? Jack, put out the dog! He's like, it's Toby's turn! 
Does that sound like your homes? That's the, the heart of the Father is to create a space where these fully realized uh, adults are filled with the Spirit, loving Jesus, and able to uh, do all of this stuff out of their own passion and their own love for God. But it happens uh, not through uh, me controlling them. The only way Jack can become an adult is if I release control slowly over time. I would really like to control that a lot more. <laughs> but he can't become an adult unless I let him stumble, unless I let them fall, unless I let them uh, go out and experience adventures and, and do things on their own. They have to be set free. They can't be controlled. And so, again, as a father, I submit my own need for an orderly house to these messy children to make a sandwich that gets grated cheese on every single surface in the kitchen. Like Toby making a sandwich is like a bomb went off in my house. But he can't learn to make a sandwich unless I let the bomb go off. That's what submission to your kid looks like. And to just raise them to grow up in the fear of the Lord. And that's what we're looking for, is, is releasing control, uh, releasing our personal mechanisms that keep ourselves safe, that keep our world ordered. And this is not an easy thing. But as we do it and as we release it, then the people around us can grow and they can thrive. And that's, of course, our heart. So talking about home security, home security is not about control or power or authority or influence. Home security is the Jesus way is all about submission and servanthood. And that's what we need to take home, I think, today. Kick out the idols and submit yourselves to one another. And you will have a happier home, I promise you. A more secure home, a safe home, a home that is, uh, what my, my hope is, what my vision for all of our homes is, a home that is a sanctuary, a place where the presence of God dwells. And I'm first in line saying I need to learn more about this. First in line, let's stand. <clears throat> uh, Lord, in order to do any of this, in order to release control, in order to uh, be set free from uh, all of this stuff, in order to kick the idols out of our homes that keep us safe and secure, we absolutely need to be secure in you. We go back to John 20 and we hear your voice saying, uh, these are my sheep and they know me. Nothing can snatch them out of my hands. I pray for everyone here who's wrestling uh, with their relationship with you, wrestling with the reality of you, wrestling with, do you care for them? Do you love them? Would you let there be, uh, in, the, in the very core of their being, uh, a sense of love and acceptance from you that comes through what you did on the cross? That we would have a sense of knowing that we are saved knowing that we are loved by you, knowing that we are secure in you. And out of that security for us, would we just lay down our lives for one another, kick out our idols, and let our homes be a much, much better place. Set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
God bless you.